film I ever got cast in was Coyote Ugly. And I remember thinking, wow, this is so cool. It's a Jerry Bruckheimer movie. He did Top Gun and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it just was a, felt like a big deal. And then they called and they're like, okay, the premiere, I did one scene, you know? And they were like, the premiere is coming up and um, we're not gonna have you go to that, but we have a screening that we can give you a free ticket to. Welcome and thank you for listening to Almost Almost Famous, the podcast where actors, writers, comedians talk about the ups and downs, ebbs and flows of working towards making this crazy biz and how they're almost almost famous. I'm your host, Daniel Acker. Today's guest is best known for his work on iCarly and the iCarly reboot, and has also starred in Key and Peel, Reno 911, and Modern Family. He's a writer on Fox's Bless the Hearts and is an Annie-nominated voice actor. It's the incomparable Jeremy Rowley. Hey, man. Daniel! Hi. Good hi, to hi, see hi. you. Oh man, we were just talking about it a little bit before, but I want to get into it. So I thought that when he told me he was uh, Annie nominated, I thought he meant Emmy nominated, but turns <laughs> out that that Annie was like, is a real thing. Tell us more about like, it. He was like, is that an autocorrect for Emmy? I'm like, no, it's Annie. It's like, um, yeah, my career is so fun that the only thing I've ever been nominated for, uh, which is incredibly prestigious, is something that no one would ever know um it's called an annie award it's animation awards and like the year i went and got nominated you know kobe bryant won and angelina jolie won but people don't know about this like i think one of the reasons they don't know is because it's mostly animators that get the nominations there's only two voice categories mm -hmm. so there's not a lot of stars right and so right. that's why it's not going to get a lot of press but uh it, it's basically Every year, five people from TV and five people from movies get nominated for best voice performance of the whole year. And male and female are included in the five people. Oh, wow. So it's like literally five human beings from TV and five human beings from film get nominated for best voice performance. And it was like me, SpongeBob, Mickey Mouse, um, someone from BoJack Horseman, uh, and then uh, a kid who, when I went into the store, I was like, please don't let the kid, a child win. Like, a, like they already got the kids choice I mean, award. What more could but they also, want? I mean, you already have a steady job at like nine years old or whatever. Like you don't need an award yet. Like just give it to someone else. And the kid didn't win. Uh, SpongeBob won. So, uh, and you, why, by saying these names, you mean the people that did the voices. It wasn't yeah. someone in a SpongeBob suit. Yeah, <laughs> correct. That correct. is incredible. I didn't realize yeah. that that is truly it's very prestigious to be one of five in a category yeah. that includes all genders because even the oscars don't do that they still right. separate everybody like, it's like five people five men five women yeah this was literally it's five and it, you know it made me when i saw the nominations i was like whoa i wonder if there's pressure nowadays to be like don't make it all dudes like there should be right and right. um it wasn't but it was i think it was only one woman and Mm. So what was, was like, the what was the show you got uh nominated for so it was a nickelodeon show called bunsen is a beast that ran for a couple seasons and i was the lead character bunsen and, mm. uh, super fun it was my first regular uh voice acting role and i got nominated so that was amazing and and like everything in my career was like oh that's cool and then the universe was like let's do everything we can to make this seem more humbling like you know, like when I went to the awards, uh, I was like, this is so cool. I got nominated for this thing. And then uh, 
there's like, there's a red carpet. Do you want to walk down that? I go, sure. And every person I try to talk to for the camera was like, oh, we're good. You can just keep walking. Like, we don't need to interview you. We don't need a picture of you. And they would interview everyone else. And they would just kept telling me like, you're good. You're good. And it was in- incredibly like, oh, okay. Like, thank you. And then once I got off the red carpet, then there was like an email from someone at Nickelodeon going, I am a handler. I can walk you down the red carpet and tell everyone who you are. And I think they can make it a better experience. And, but they never contacted me ahead of time. They sent me an email after I'd already gone. Yeah. And, and you're like, you're going to have to walk it again. So this person like, no, we were already sitting there. The show was about to start and everything. It was like too late. And, but, but I have never felt worse than when they made me feel like I was begging people to interview me. And I was like, I don't, I guess I don't care if you interview. I did. I just, I'd be like, I got nominated for one of the awards. They're like, Oh, that's, that's nice. But if you're in a hurry, you can keep going. Like they kept saying, if you're in a hurry, you can go. Don't let us slow you down. And yeah. Is, when you leave, they're like, I'm sure that's one of the animators. <laughs> they probably didn't even realize you're like, but it's but this is what doesn't even make sense to me about it is that it is almost all animators mm-hmm. and none of them are famous right so i'm like i don't know i don't know who if if you're nominated for an annie like who else is interest who else do you want to interview on that red carpet but they were like not you dude yeah, <laughs> yeah. is it so, what is it is it tom kenny is that the voice of spongebob they're yeah. like, we're trying to get uh, some sound bites from Tom Kenny. And that's it. And that's yeah. all we care about. And uh, um, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, yeah. It, that, what a humbling experience. You're like, I'm one of five. This is pretty prestigious. I'm walking yeah. a red carpet. They're kind of, no, sir, please, please don't. Yeah, let they're like, stop move you. along. They're basically like, move along. Like, they're like yeah. look, if you got to go fill some seats, we don't know what you're doing here. We don't know <laughs> what your capacity yeah. Um, and then right before the red carpet, I ran into, oh, here's the Nickelodeon people milling around. And then there's this woman who's an executive and she was like, hi, I'm so-and-so. And I'm like, I'm Jeremy Riley. She's like, okay, what do you do? And I was like, oh, I'm nominated for things. She's like, oh, okay, honey. Well, don't, don't, um, don't get your hopes up. You're not going to win. Um, she goes, it's SpongeBob's year. Um, Tom Kenny's won before, but he's only won once and he's going to win again. Cause like the creators get a lifetime achievement award. Like just, just so you know, like that's what's happening. And I was like, Oh cool. That's fun too. To just be told, like, don't even think about winning today from your, the person that you work for. Yeah. Um, so but they the also, thing. they also work for SpongeBob. So they are winning. Like they're looking it's at true. it. Like, we got, we got many yeah. horses in this race. In it's a way, true. like I, I understand that, but it is sort of funny to immediately deflate your your ego. And your it was balloon. like you, I, I think. Well, she was right. He did win, and she right. was right, and she was right across board. But I don't know why you say that. Is my point? Like, yeah. that's all. Like, why do you need to say that to me? When, by the way, she didn't even know who I was and didn't care. Yeah, I was just like, and the only thing. Oh, now that I know who you are, all I want to tell you is you're not going to win. So yeah. don't even think about it. It's like, oh, fun. You're a bundle of fun, lady. <laughs> As Thank opposed you. to just being like, hey, enjoy the night, you know? Yeah, like, congratulations. Congrats. We're so happy to have you on the Nickelodeon team. We got such yeah. a great lineup. Yeah, I love how so much of this business is like the excitement of, of doing something amazing and then just, just how humbling it can all be once you're actually there. I have learned that there is no situation that someone cannot pull the rug out from under you. Like, just don't get high. Don't get too high because someone will freaking 
knock you down. It is never necessarily going to be good. <laughs> like, if you just expect it to be fine, then great. It'll probably be fine, and sometimes it'll be better. But when it goes bad, then it's then you won't be too devastated. Do you have uh, times for yourself where you feel like you've quote unquote like made it or hit personal milestones? For me, those are like two different ways of the two different ways you put it would lead me to two totally different answers. Like, so I've definitely hit personal milestones a lot that I feel very proud of in terms of making it. No way. Like I, I've had so many things happen to me that are so cool that seemed like they were going to be something that weren't something that now, like, it is not physically possible to get my hopes up about something like you can't do it. You know, um, and back when I was first starting out at the Groundlings in the early 2000s, uh, back before the internet was like the big thing and people read newspapers, like the LA Times did an article on me that was like, this is the next big guy. He's going to be on SNL. He's like, watch out for him. Like it was like a half a page article about me and how the guy came to the show and he thought I was great. And he was like the LA Times theater reviewer. And it was like, whoa like that didn't happen to anyone else and it was like awesome and then guess what came of that nothing like you know <laughs> and then you know and you know i went to audition for snl i tested and uh everyone was like well lauren michaels he doesn't ever talk to you he doesn't say nice things so don't get used don't don't that's not gonna happen and afterward my audition he came up and he was like oh i you know i saw your show at the growlings and uh I love that character that you did that you did up here too for the test. It was really great. Thanks. And he was like very complimentary. And I was like, oh, whoa. So everyone's mm -hmm. like, he doesn't give compliments. So I'm going to get this job. Didn't mm -hmm. get the job. You know, um, I could, I could name like a million things like that where then like 15 years later, Lauren Michaels shows up at the show at a show I'm doing again. And I remember thinking I'm done. Like they looked at me years ago. Oh, there's no way I'm going to be on SNL. And uh, so I'm thinking, well, who's he here to look at tonight? It's not me. And I looked around the cast and I was like, hmm, it's a kind of an older cast tonight. And there's a lot of established people who are already like either celebrities or, you know, say like a Mindy Sterling, who's a celebrity and she's older. It's like, she's, they're not looking at her for SNL, right? Mm -hmm. Like she's, she's a big deal already. Um, so I'm like, hmm, I don't know why he's here. Maybe he's here just to see a show for fun. <laughs> and the next day I get a call, he wants to do a test again. And this is 15 years after my first two tests. Wow. I was like, whoa. So then I go in and I do it. And at this point, I know all these people. So some of some of like the most famous people who have ever been on SNL text him on my behalf. Like, oh, you got to hire Jeremy, blah, 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 and all this nice stuff. Nope, didn't get it. Like, if there's a situation where you feel like, why why would he ask me back after all these years? Well, he's probably going to hire me this time, you know? And it's like, right. nope, I haven't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a it's a whirlwind. Uh, like, how do you, as a as a person, kind of uh, deal with those potential highs? And you know, like, how do you take those? Because I know a lot of people would, you know, let that almost beat them up, or would you know, the expectation and not getting it would be too devastating. But you you got some longevity, and you seem to have a good kind of head on your shoulders about that. Where does that come from? Well, it makes me really sad. Like, I don't tr pretend that it doesn't affect me. You know, that mm -hmm. stuff those constant like oh it this thing looks like it's gonna happen and then it doesn't it hurts really bad you know and um and you know part of me thinks i just all i do is just keep going 
because what else am I going to do? I don't know. Like, mm. you know, like I, I do have enough. I don't call it success. I get enough jobs to work and pay the bills. Mm. And, and I'm like, well, I need money and I need to keep going. So I'll just keep going. But right. uh, I don't. You know, there's not. I don't have some fallback plan. I never did. So, right. I guess that it's more that situation than like, oh no, I feel great and um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have some magical way to work through that that has made me real happy about all those experiences. <laughs> <laughs> you know, here's a here's a really odd one. I'm telling okay. you, I've had a million things happen like this mm -hmm. back in the early two thousands. Um, I do a show afterwards. I come out. Ellen DeGeneres there with Ellen was like, uh, "Oh, I loved your show," and she was going around the lobby, reenacting my characters, and, and I was like, "Oh, this is so fun! What's happening?" And she's like, "Well, I'm I'm doing a sketch show. This is after she did the Ellen show, before she did the talk hey, show, right?" And she's just doing a sketch show, and she's like, "You got to be in my sketch show," and I was like, "Oh, cool! You know, I'm like this week I'm going to test for SNL. I think it was my first test." And she's like, well, if they're dumb enough to not hire you, I'm hiring you. And I was like, great. So now I got a fallback plan from SNL, right? Yeah. Uh, and then they, SNL doesn't hire me. And then I got some general meeting with a person from Ellen's team to go in and talk for a minute. And then I never heard another thing. So and it was like dumb enough not to hire you. Well, that's a nice way to put it. But at the same time, it's like she... I could say she she gave me a job. She told me I'm hiring you. You know what I mean? And then it was like she forgot about me. You know, and it was like I'm not mad at her. Whatever she's gonna do, whatever she wants. But you can't like I. It's all it's taught me is like you cannot bank on anything, right? Anything because you have that happen to you once in your career. You would think like, oh, cool, like this is gonna happen, right? And then right. it's like no. It's probably not. Even when someone says it like that, it's probably not. And if you asked her today about any of that, she'd be like, I don't remember any of that. I don't remember that guy. I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. Right. I just don't remember that she did that sketch show. Were you always like interested in acting and performing and doing comedy even as a kid? Or was this kind of a later in life development? I always enjoyed comedy and being funny. Uh, and... And then I, I discovered in high school, like, oh, I want to be an actor. And then the short version is that in college, I was like, I'm here to be an actor. But then every time I tried to do any kind of acting, if it was comedic, I got a much better response. Mm -hmm. And so and so it made me go, oh, I, I better go this way because this is what people, you know, what I'm getting more positive feedback as. And, uh, and then I got out to L.A. and I was like, I'm still like, oh, I'm going to be an actor. And I took a class at the Groundlings, and, and um, it was like, what is this, improv? I don't know what this is. And I, I was a little bit, like, not negative about it, but skeptical. Mm. I was like, well, I'm, I'm looking for an acting class. What is this, how is this improv going to help my acting? And then all of a sudden, I, you know, sort of started living at the Groundlings, and I was like, I'm just going to do this. I love this. Yeah. Yeah, because I feel like you're definitely, you know, a performer I would always see and admire and look up to I feel like you just have that really kind of almost unteachable gift where it's just like oh this is just a very funny human being the kind of ease it falls on me of yeah. like I think when I've seen you perform improv and sketch and on stage you could just go you take like a deep breath as an audience member and go 
we're in good hands. This person is going to be able to make me laugh with just like the way he's moving, the how he's at. Like you're just kind of like very in tune with your sense of humor. Where do you think your sense of humor kind of comes from? It's- my sense of humor definitely came from my family growing up was uh, just very sarcastic. I had an uncles uh, who, you know, it was like, you, you just, you make fun of the world, you make fun of each other. And taking me to movies like, you know, Beverly Hills Cop and anything with Robin Williams, uh, Eddie Murphy, you know, I grew up in that 80, 80s heyday with, you know, just watching funny people, you know, and, yeah. and, and wanting to do it and, and Robin Williams stand up and I never really wanted to be a stand up, but man, I would just love those stand up specials when I was a oh, kid. Yeah. And I loved telling jokes at school for that cred you would get, you know, to like, mm-hmm. you could tell, you go in and you tell a joke that you heard on the special that no one else saw and they thought that was your joke. You know? <laughs> yeah. Talk about like middle school. Not right, like, right, uh, right. Green, yeah. You're not in college trying to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we all did that in middle school. Just like, hey, you want to hear a funny joke? And they're like, whoa, you're a genius. <laughs> <laughs> Especially some Robin Williams bits that yeah. would be like way, way over your head. You're not even sure what yeah. the joke is. Do you have or have you given yourself a kind of a definition of success? It's funny because I, I had a concrete one when I was coming out of college. I was like, if I can just work doing this and just being an actor or performer-ish in that world and make my living doing that and not have to do something else, I will consider that success. And by that definition, I am successful today. But I also like, I don't subscribe to that anymore. Like I want it to be more than that. Yeah, like I, I hit my goal, but mm. then my now as as an adult, my goal is like I have more goals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you set the bar, you met it, and now you're like, okay. Like I, I think sh- this should have set it higher. <laughs> but I think this, <laughs> that's a very common thing of you know, you set it and then once you're able to achieve it consistently it stops becoming kind of a goal or a marker because you're like, okay, yeah. that's a that's a benchmark I know I can comfortably and feel right. confident I can hit. And it starts to be uh, kind of more striving for something. I always feel like it's about uh, not so much the external goals of like, I need these accolades, I need these things, but of how do I want to push myself as kind of a performer or in my career. I know a person who was on SNL who was at the time they were on, they were like one of, one of if not the most watched person on there that people, that's why they turn it on. And, and then, behind, you know, if you talk to them, they'd be like, well, I want to be doing the movies and the other. And it's like, now I know now, and then they have, they've done that, they've conquered that. And I just know if I asked them, they'd be like, well, I want to be doing this thing that I'm not doing. And then what would be funny is that person eventually would probably be like, you know what? I'd rather just like do small shows on a screen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> <'cause, 'cause, laughs> like, you know, that's so attainable for you. You can do that. <laughs> Where is your head at with the concepts or the idea for yourself of becoming rich and famous? Can you go with that? Uh, you know, when I was younger, I thought I wanted to be famous. Uh, well, first of all, the rich part, like I want all of the money in the world. Like I, I want money. Like I grew up so poor and I was poor for so long that like, I know how hard it is to be poor. And I have friends that have tons of money and they're the only people who say things like, you know, money's not that important. Like people that have money are the only people that say that. 
money is so important and I will always want all of it. But fame, I think I wanted to be famous when I was younger and I, I could not have flipped on that harder. Like, mm. like I, my ideal now would be to be working on something awesome where I get to go home and see my kid at night and I just have like so much money. I don't even have to ever worry about money again. That would be amazing. Uh, and part of the, where I came to that was sort of watching the people around me get the thing that I thought I wanted and then watching some of the stuff that comes with it. Like if you've ever seen like some of these people like Kristen Wiig will come to a show at the Groundlings and then have her navigate her way out of the theater afterwards, just trying to get to her car. Like mm. it's, I can't imagine just that being your life constantly of like, that's not fun, you know? Right. Um, and she's not complaining by the way. I'm, I'm just saying I was watching it and people would come up to her and you never know, is this the, a scary person or is this a nice person to like, cause there's scary people that follow them around. And yeah. And yeah. Um, I actually didn't know, I was very naive as a kid to to know like all the baggage that comes along with that famous stuff. Mm. So I'm not, not into that anymore. Yeah. I, I don't think I'm, I'm uh, there's a big threat of it happening, but. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but yeah, that's not, that's not the goal. But back on the money thing, like I think a lot of people who think, oh, money's not that big a deal. Like they, haven't had to worry about how to pay a medical bill or where they're going to live or any of that stuff. And, yeah. and, uh, you know, I didn't have a safety net mm. ever. So it's, it's different when that's either in the back of your head all the time or it's not. Yeah. It's truly, I think it's been proven, uh, that it's like the biggest indicator of just overall well being. It's just, yeah. just knowing you have money across any, uh, cultures or any society is uh, is a huge indicator on your health, your mindset, yeah. your well-being. Because <laughs> yeah, if you have moments where you're all you're worried about is your meals, how to survive. How how can you enjoy any aspect of life? How can you so really just be? Uh, and also, especially as pursuing kind of the arts in this career, so much of it is feeling authentic and feeling kind of calm and relaxed and comfortable, like. I know for me personally, I've, I've never really had great auditions when I've thought I need to book this yeah. to survive. Like, I, yeah, I can't imagine auditioning for something and being like, oh, if I don't get this, I don't get my health insurance or I, you know, I, I need the money to pay my rent or whatever. I, like I always structured my life, especially even when I started where I had my day job, my day job paid my bills. And so I literally never went into an audition thinking like I need this to pay my bills because I always just had that figured out, you know, um, mm -hmm. I'd be a waiter or whatever, you know, right. 10 years in the future. So Jeremy, 10 okay. years from now, okay. Okay. back in time, yeah. what advice would you give yourself today? In terms of advice I'd give my younger self, it's actually gotta be more than 10 years. I'd say it's probably like 20 years ago, but this is important. It, and this is going to sound dumb because I think most people already get this. It's more the way I grew up that made it where I didn't get it for a long time. Um, I, I came out of a rough family situation that was like, I sort of had to escape and I was, I had a sort of a survival mode that was happening and I, I didn't invite people in, you know, I, I, 
my early on when I was first trying to do this, I was, I was like, I can do everything on my own. That was my attitude about life. And I had to have that because I was the only one that cared about me. I was, I, you know, I had no friends, no family, no one to pay any bills, no one to lean on. And I was like, if I don't do it, I'm going to fail. And I wish I would have just relaxed a little bit and enjoyed the people around me when I was younger. I was the guy who was like super intense and like, well, I got to work on my stuff, you know? So even after we have a great show, it was like, oh, let's go out and have a drink. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go work on the show next week. I'm going home. You know, I was like, just, I was a workaholic. And not only, I'm not saying even being a workaholic is bad, but there was an, there was a, an attitude and an intensity around it that wasn't welcoming to mm. people and it wasn't me enjoying it as much as I could. It was like oh, the, the survival mode I was in was clear to other people. And I wish I would have, I wish I could have realized at the time that I was going to be okay and that I didn't need to approach it like that. You know? Right. Um, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because it seems like something that initially was in a way of strength slowly over time as as it became less and less needed became in a way a hindrance where it did you know to to the situation you were in growing up that seems absolutely necessary of like i gotta take care of myself no one else will and then you are an adult and you're in the world and it's hard to shed that layer of protection when you're meeting people who do have your interest in, in mind and in heart yes. and want to want to see you also succeed in well, also, when you're younger, I realize there are things that are sort of admirable when you're younger. And then you realize as you grow up, like they're no longer admirable as you get older. Like where people, like you said, used to um, almost like a compliment go like, wow, I'm so impressed that you're able to fight your way out of this and just be focused and, you know, power your way out of that. It's like uh, that those compliments I would get, I would reinforce like, oh, I'm doing the right thing, you know. And there's stuff that's, that is admirable when you're a kid. And then mm-hmm. when you're an adult, you know, it's different and it's sort of not cute anymore. Yeah. You know, like, like no one, if you're a kid and you've been brought up, it's been hard and you sort of stand up for yourself. Everyone's like, great. And then if you've got that same intensity and attitude as an older person, people are like, what's going on, man? You're an adult now, you know, you, yeah. you need to be able to, see outside of yourself a little more right it also opens itself where you know as a kid like you said like people might be like whoa they're so disciplined they're so focused they're driven and which are great qualities but especially because if you went maybe more of the stand-up route i think that could be a thing where people are like oh yeah don't talk to jeremy he's just laser focused he's writing this set but improv and sketch are such team sports and they're all about almost more so i tell people it's almost more about actually getting close with the people you're performing with. I mean, yeah. you've done enough shows where when you're on stage with people you don't know, you still do a decent job, but there's nothing quite like when you know the people well, you mm-hmm. play with them. And so you probably had a lot of moments where they're just like, does Jeremy even like us? Like, does Jeremy <laughs> even want to hang out with us? Like, you know, and realizing like how important it is to, to like you said, let people into your life. And it's so true. And, you know, I have a lot of guilt about that time in my life too, where, you know, I just, I didn't have time for anything that wasn't moving forward. So I could, at the end of the night, I could think of in my head of all the wonderful things that other people did. 
but I didn't always take the time to tell them, oh, you were awesome in this and you were amazing. And oh, I can't believe it. I would just be like, great show. I'm out of here. I got to go focus on the next thing. And I could see how those people could think, oh, he doesn't think we did very well or he doesn't like performing with us. And it was more like, uh, no, I'm just on to the next thing. It's survival mode, you know? Right. So, yeah, I was the ultimate wounded kid being protective of myself all the time. And and although I know that that's just what it had to be for me to come out of that, I, you know, it's like what inspired this whole discussion is looking back, I know that it was necessary for my journey, but oh man, nothing would have changed except for the better had I let go of that sooner. You know? Right. Throughout this business, so much of it, like we were saying, are a lot of highs and lows. What do you do personally in those like lulls or those low moments? Like do you have kind of mantras or things you keep busy with? What, is, what do you do? You know, I've always just kept going, just keep going. And then I, I'm a big basketball fan and I always loved uh, a lot of the best basketball players have a saying of like, don't let yourself get too high. Don't let yourself get too low. So and I kind of love that for our profession too. It's like, no matter what great thing happens, it's like, cool, I got a job, great. I'm not gonna go too crazy about it. And then then that helps me in those times where it's like, oh, something really kind of crappy just happened. It's like, oh, well, you know, let's go to the next thing. It's like, not too high, not too low, try to stay in that middle zone. And that mm-hmm. that helps that helps all of it. But but I don't really have a, a tactic for the low times other than just saying, well, it's going to keep going, go to yeah. sleep. Really? I, <laughs> yeah. I like to go, something really bad happens. I'm like, can't wait to go to bed that night. And I feel better in the morning. Speaking of a potential low moment, uh, this is the part of the show, Jeremy, when I bring up my insult comic character. Oh, Raz, great. Raz Clifford. Wait. Yeah. He likes okay. to take the guests down a peg because you know, you're almost, almost famous. He wants to make sure you, you, you know, where you sit, you know, he's, I, I need that. He's been in the business a lot. So let's bring out, uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's bring out Raz Clifford. Come on out, Raz. Oh, here we go. Finally, some talent on the podcast. Oh, wait, wait a minute. I thought this was Jeremy Renner. Oh, no. No, I took one look at Jeremy Rowley and knew he was no movie star. Oh my God, everybody. So, you know, we, you know, people have been in this business a lot. So Jeremy, you got some real skeletons in your closet. Yeah. Folks, I'm, I mean that literally someone called the cops. <laughs> to paint a picture for the listeners, Jeremy looks like someone who's forgettable. Yeah. Boom, got him. Jeremy, <laughs> Jeremy is the real, uh, I like to say he's the Vladimir Putin of comedy. Okay. <laughs> He's been doing this for so long and it feels like he surrounded himself with people who won't tell him the truth out of fear he'll attack them. <laughs> Everybody, Jeremy is a known entity in this business. I mean, why? Just the other day, I heard a lot of people talking about him. I knew they were talking about him because they were saying things like, ugh, that guy, or uh-oh, here comes that idiot. Classic <laughs> nicknames for Jeremy. Well, <laughs> you got Raz, you sweet idiot. When you see me around, just keep walking. Just treat me like you're on the red carpet and just go to your seat. <laughs> Nobody wants to talk to you. All right. Bye. Bye, Raz. Bye, Raz. Yeah, life is like a red carpet, but it's the one where, no, where everyone wants you to get off it. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, where you're just so delighted to be on it and then you yeah. realize how uncomfortable or awkward this is. It's so funny, like, it's like, I, I don't think I've ever had, ever had a job that didn't have an aspect of it that would knock down, knock you down a peg. Like, uh, the first film I ever got cast in was Coyote Ugly. And I remember thinking, oh, this is so cool. It's a Jerry Bruckheimer movie. He did Top Gun and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it just was a, felt like a big deal. And then they called and they're like, okay, the premiere, I did one scene, you know, and they were like, the premiere is coming up and um, we're not going to have you go to that, but we have a screening that we can give you a free ticket to. So I got, I got a ticket to go to a free screening. Cause like, we don't want you to pay for it, but we don't want you there the night of the premiere. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So I got to go see it for free with some crew members. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, I thought I was going to go to my first premiere, which then would have been my first experience saying, get off the red carpet. We yeah. don't want you on here. So I could I could have got that earlier if they right. would have just invited me to that premiere. Then you would have realized how to, you know, you would have been like, I'm supposed to get an email from Nickelodeon. There's going to be a handle. You would have known. <laughs> I would have known all of it. You would have known everything. Yeah, it is amazing how, like, I, I think I've tried to explain to my parents, like, early on when I was, like, auditioning, and they are just like, so do they even let you know when you didn't get it? Like, they don't call you. They Like, no. they only talk to you absolutely if they need to. But yes. there's some of it that doesn't make any sense to me where I feel like you can just be a little, like, I auditioned for this commercial, and I got a callback, and they had me on Zoom for three hours in the callback. And they kept cycling me through, like, it was just me on there with every one playing my wife. And it, it felt like, oh, they want to have me do it and we'll see who's my wife is going to be. That's what it felt like. Yeah. And then they, like, they needed to make whoever's going to get it, the job, they have to make vampire teeth for you. And they were like, and we got to do that tomorrow morning. And so while I'm still in the room in this three-hour callback, I get a text saying, are you available to go tomorrow morning to do the vampire teeth thing? And I was like, yes. And then that ends at like noon or one. And then later that afternoon, I like, I, we hadn't heard anything at like 6 PM. And I told my agent, like, normally I don't have him after a callback call and say, did he get it? But I was like, you guys checked in with me about the vampire teeth. Am I going to do that tomorrow? And they got mad that we kind of checked in and they're like, you know what? Uh, we'll, we'll let him know if we need him. And they didn't, but they, they were mad that we checked in. It was like, I, I don't want to save my morning for the vampire teeth tomorrow. For, I, I'm not like, it, it doesn't always make sense. The fact right. that they don't care about you at all. Agreed. And <laughs> now I know there was no kind of backup plan. You just keep doing this. But if, if you weren't acting and kind of pursuing comedy, is there another kind of field or area of, of interest that you would be like, oh? Well, I mean, this is a little bit of a cheat, but I've started writing in the last few years and I love doing that. And I'm now writing a lot. And um, so that would be the answer, but it's sort of still in the entertainment industry. <laughs> yeah. You know? Now, Jeremy, inevitably, if you haven't been already, you will be a guest on a late night talk show. Ah. Do you have a story you'd love to tell? Okay, I have a, a really fun story for you. I, I think this is really fun. Right. Um, I have one of the best first audition stories. Okay? Oh. So I 
went to school at Cal State San Bernardino, a very, very small theater school mm-hmm. uh, out sort of where I grew up. Uh, the people there were all awesome. There's a scholarship they give out. And this was in the 90s. So it was like a year's worth of tuition, which was like $1,200 because it's not that much money back then. So I got the scholarship. I, I won the scholarship. And the guys who gave this scholarship, their names are uh, Danny Bilson and Paul DeMaio. Bilson DeMaio is like a, they used to do, uh, there was a Flash series in the 90s that they mm-hmm. did, that Flash TV show, like a mm-hmm. WB style one. Mm-hmm. And they, they did the Rocketeer, the movie back, like, as I was coming up to, they had gone to Cal State San Bernardino too, and they offered the scholarship. Well, part of it was, we're going to give you this amount of money and you get this internship with us. Now, every year prior to me winning it, a behind the scenes person won it. Mm. That was the first time an actor won it. And they were like, kind of uncomfortable with that. They're like, well... We're, we're writer-producer guys, and we always thought this was going to go to a writer-producer, and we never had an actor do it before. And they're like, so normally what we do is we have someone come work as a PA on the set or whatever, and they're like, for you, why don't you just come um, like come to the studio, come to Paramount, and we'll have lunch, and we'll show you the lot. I was like, cool. That, I, I'm very excited to do that. That sounds great. Yeah. Now, looking back, I wish they would have let me be an extra so I could have got on set, you know? Right. But whatever they they said you can choose that. So I go. This is pre nine eleven, so security is very lax. Okay, <laughs> you go in and like they ask your name, and then I tell them and they who do you here to see? And then they call that office and they're like, is Jeremy Rowley supposed to be there? And they're like, yeah, let him in. And then they let him in. So I go have lunch with them. They show me around. As we're walking around Paramount, I just keep noticing all these like sign in stations with sides and like scripts. And I'm like, what's that? And they're like, well, it's just people auditioning for different films and movies, uh, films and TV shows around Paramount. I'm like, whoa, like this is the first time I remember seeing that. It was so cool. So then I go home and uh, all right, I go back to San Bernardino. I finished my college career. I moved to LA and I'm like, I don't know how to start my career. I don't know what's going on. And there was a point a few months in where I was just like, I'm frustrated. I want to act. I want to do something. I want to audition. I'm like, I'm going to just go down to Paramount and audition for something. So I go down to Paramount. I go to the guard gate and I'm like, hey, I'm supposed to be here. And they're like, oh, we don't have you on a list. Who are you supposed to see? I say, uh, Bilson DeMaio. Because last time it was just some secretary. And even though I was supposed to be there, she didn't remember. And she's just like, yeah, let him in. So I was like, maybe that'll happen again. And that's exactly what happened. They called up. And they were like, is Jeremy Riley supposed to be here? And she's like, yeah, sure, let him in. So I, now I'm on the lot. I don't go to Bilson DeMaio. I'm like, that just got me on the lot. And now I'm like, I'm going to walk around. I'm going to find something to audition for. And I'm just going to audition for whatever I find. The first thing I find, I read the sides. I'm like, I can do this. It was like a, a kid a kid my age. Uh, and I'm like, I, I could do this. So I sit there. I sign in. I, uh, I read the stuff. I get all ready. And then an hour goes by. They keep skipping me because they didn't have me on their list. So after an hour goes by, I go up and I go, hey, um, I've been sitting here for like an hour. I signed a long time ago. Can I audition soon? And they're like, oh, okay, honey, I'm sorry we skipped you. Let me call your agent and make sure you're, you know, what's going on. I'm like, oh, crap. So I did have an agent technically, which one of my professors hooked me up with this guy who was very shady. So they call him like, hey, um, Don, um, is 
we have Jeremy Rowley is here saying he had a one o'clock appointment. Did he? And he goes, yeah, sure he did. Like, and he just lied. Like his whole thing was like, if he's maybe got an audition, I'll go with it. And I, by the way, when they were dialing the phone, I was sweating so hard. I was like, oh, I'm about to be so embarrassed. I'm about to get kicked out of here. But he just went along with it. He's like, yeah, yeah, he was supposed to be there at one. You haven't seen him yet? You know, he totally went along with it. And they're like, we're so sorry. Okay, you can go in next. So I go in, I audition, I get a call back. And then I didn't get the job, but I got a call back. Went to the call back, felt like I did great. And the role, you have to be older to appreciate this. The role was Edward Norton's Oscar winning performance in Primal Fear. And I, I was auditioning for his part. And it was like, it was, it was one of those coveted movie roles of a generation. Like you'll hear, uh, you'll hear interviews to this day where Matt Damon and Ben Affleck were like, we wanted that role so bad. And when we didn't get it, we wrote Goodwill Hunting mm -hmm. because we're like, because they're like another star making role like that is not going to come along while we're still this age, you know? And so, uh, Oh my God. So I got a I got a call back for it, and uh, that that felt great that that all happened. It made me feel like okay, I can do this, you know. That is amazing. I mean, what yeah. all the things? It's very like kind of catch me if you can, just making your way on the lot. <laughs> Jeremy, thanks so much for hopping on and chatting with me. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Uh, do you have any things coming in the the pipeline that the listener should look out for? Well, I, I'm doing a Nickelodeon show, a voice on a Nickelodeon kids cartoon that I'm not sure I'm allowed to talk about it, but, um, but it's going to be on like, uh, in a year. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, cause that, you know, stuff just takes so long in animation. Right. So it's very exciting. It's very fun. And, uh, and, uh, so I'm busy on that and I guess, you know, turn on Nickelodeon in a year. Well, thanks again for being on and thanks again for listening, listeners. I'm your host, Daniel Acker, and this has been Almost Almost Famous.